It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to another edition of Reliving the War. It is the podcast where we go through the Monday Night Wars. Season 3 is off and running. It is 1999. The WWF is off to an absolute tear. And I gotta say, we've, well, we haven't been disappointed with the pay-per-views because they've still been good, not horrible. But you gotta say, Simon, that like these pay-per-views really are a sign of the times. Like back then, match quality, five stars, all of that sort of stuff were really, really non-existent, weren't they? It was just all about driving to the next story, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't really about, you know, the matches being good in a specific way. It was, you know, were the shows entertaining and did they continue the stories? And that's what we've got for the WWE for the most part through 99. Uh, I was dreading watching this show because I had it lumped in with uh, King of the Ring and mm-hmm. WrestleMania and Survivor Series is, you know, just this bad run of big four or five shows for 1999. I don't know if my expectations were low or what happened or if I was in the right mood. This ended up being different to what I remember, um, I which I'm pleasantly <laughs> surprised. Did you have any nostalgia for it? Because this pay-per-view, it, it really stands out to me as like part of the peak. Um because this was the era where WWF superstars was on every Sunday night on channel 10 and it was still up to date and still kind of consistent. So I remember following this story so closely back in the day. And I was just wondering, it's it's good that you sort of said that because I was wondering like, man, that nostalgia kick must've really, really gone into overdrive because I, I was pleasantly surprised at how good this pay for you was. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. For me, there's no nostalgia for this pay-per-view because I only remember hating it. I've watched it Mm -hmm. every few years, like when it first happened a few years later. And then I watched it not too long ago, maybe three or four years ago. And it's just never, never stuck with me. But this time, maybe I just watched it in the right mood and thought, okay, give it a chance. Don't go in expecting it to be bad. And it was finally enjoyable after 20 something years. You know, <laughs> I will say, say yeah. what I hate though. I yep. hate, I think what, what it is part of it. I hate the way this show looks in the arena. It's yeah. dark. I hate the set. The set. I, I hate the logo for this year. It feels very WCW in that everything's dark and dingy. Um, And then maybe just in my mind, when I pitch a SummerSlam, I picture SummerSlam from the 80s, you know, with the classic logo. Picture it in the 90s with the 90s logo. Everything's blue. Everything's bright. Uh, The year before, in Madison Square Garden in 98 with the Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell, yeah. Then a year later, SummerSlam 2000, the first with the 2000s logo. Everything's bright again. So maybe in my mind, just, yeah, the beach themes. SummerSlam 99, 
just feels dark and weird. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. The only nostalgia uh, as well, the, the only thing iconic about the SummerSlam 99 set is that it's in WWF No Mercy. That's the <laughs> only thing about it that's memorable at all because it doesn't have the gates of hell like 98 does. Yeah. It doesn't have those cool aesthetics there. And I think he sort of might have unlocked the secret of why this is seen when you watch it again as a poor SummerSlam. If you, watch the, if you go back and watch SummerSlams like during SummerSlam, it comes straight after 98, which is a great SummerSlam, and before 2000, great which is also a great SummerSlam. Yeah. So when you watch it after, say, Fully Loaded or King of the Ring, all of a sudden it's looking a lot better. Yeah, it makes more sense, exactly. <laughs> but uh, let's get into it because it starts off with a fantastic recap of all the special guest refs during Austin's reign from WrestleMania 14 and basically all the chaos it has caused. And then we get the introduction to Jesse, the body Von Ventura, who's the special guest referee for this main event. And Triple H is going to get his first title shot. He, it's drilled through you. He is the law and order in Minnesota, which is kind of a bit of a, one of those double truths, which is quite cool. Yeah, because he was the governor at the time, which was such a big news story. Um, you know, a wrestler becoming a politician and doing it successfully, not mm -hmm. just a mayor or some, you know, weird local... Uh, school council board he was the governor yeah. of uh, minnesota which is amazing um and the other thing i thought with the intro video though they said you know jesse is the law and order blah 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 and you know he's a special ref and they had the special ref retrospective they never mentioned that jesse was the special ref for the first main event of SummerSlam, SummerSlam hmm. 98 the mega powers and the mega bucks i thought it was weird but you know at the time wwe was petty they, I think they didn't want to show Hogan and Savage because they were still main eventing WCW. Yeah, yeah, they really sort of shunned their history. Like, they were all about mm. the here and now back in the Attitude Era. But um, JR and King go and set the scene. and um, But before they even do that, we see what is going to be a recurring theme of Jesse the Body Ventura talking to each <laughs> individual competitor from the Triple Threat and basically doing the same thing, which is just like, I am the referee in this match. I will count it down the line. <laughs> Yeah, and it was funny because they were all very similar because it felt like they were just rolling and Jesse mm -hmm. was like, no, nah, no, nah, I got this. We don't use scripts, you know, I just ad lib <laughs> everything. But it all ended up sounding very similar. He just went to the same sort of line every time. It was very much like a SmackDown Just Bring It cut scene, wasn't mm. it? Just... Yeah. <laughs> no, I just uh, want to say when we're panning through the crowd for the intro, you know it's 1999 when there's a sign in the crowd that says "I see dead people," because <laughs> yeah. the Sixth Sense, and you know that was the the hot movie of '99. I just want to see when it was released. I want to see how on the pulse uh, this guy was. Oh my God! Release date August second, 1999. Oh, SummerSlam was the 22nd. This guy is, you know, burning, burning <laughs> up. Finger on the pulse, right there too. <laughs> Because I think later on in the paper, you, uh, Jerry the King Lawler drops a Blair Witch Project reference as well. He does. So... He's like watching the Blair Witch movie. <laughs> so we all we need is like an Armageddon reference or <laughs> yeah. a Deep Impact one. And we have just ticked all of the boxes of pre-millennium sort of uh, WWE references. But uh, yeah, Jayon King set the scene. They then th set up the night before when we crossed to Chris Jericho and Howard fin Finkel from earlier today. Uh, Chris Jericho is berating Howard uh, Finkel. It's basically how he treated Ralphus in WCW. Calls him Harold. 
And it, it's funny how this is Y2J in its very infant stage because Jericho is still doing what worked for him in WCW, but it hasn't quite yet, you know, made a ripple at all in the WWF. Well, he's just shown up. This is his first pay-per-view appearance. And what yeah. a weird... What a weird debut for Chris Jericho. The first time we see him on a pay-per-view, he's yelling at Howard Finkel. This didn't <laughs> last long. Like, I, I remember it happening, and I remember they tried recreating the magic of Ralphus or whatever, and, yeah, I don't know. Early Chris Jericho in WWE didn't work, and he'll even admit that. The first few mm. months, him as a heel didn't work. When they turn him face in, like, early 2000 or whatever, then it starts to click. Yeah, yeah. There's there. It's weird because Chris Jericho is someone that loves to do revisionist history of his career, but this is the one time where he will just basically uncategorically go, "Yeah, I was crap." Yeah, and, and what's <laughs> funny with early Chris Jericho too, and you'll notice this with early Rock and early Edge and a few guys because they haven't spoken into a microphone or you know heard their voice back a lot yet or whatever. They all talk with this really put on deep voice. Have you noticed that yeah. with early promos? I'm Chris Jericho. I'm here to save. It's very different to his, you know, comfortable voice, which we'd get later. That's what was so weird about, and we'll talk about this later on when Edge and Christian cut a promo, because when you hear just how good Edge and, when you, it it almost, I it was almost like I had to relearn multiplication tables when I heard back Edge and Christian doing a bad promo because I'm like, these guys are the two of the best talkers <laughs> in the business. But, but it's we'll not get that to it's that. a bad yeah. promo. They're well spoken. It just doesn't it's, sound right. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's too, it sounds too put on. It almost sounds like someone fed that through like an AI module. Like, give me a a Christian a Christian and Edge promo, but um, yeah. we'll get to that in just a bit because it is Jeff Jarrett um, with Deborah. They enter together and they're in matching blue, which is pretty good. Uh, Jeff Jarrett goes and sends Deborah to the back because you know he's he's a heel, and Deborah, of course, is a crowd favorite here. D'Lo Brown's music hit, and we see before he makes his entrance, him walk past Deborah backstage, and he tells Deborah, you should come out with me. And when she comes out with him, gets a massive, massive pop. It is huge. Mm. Yeah, and what was funny, though, with the huge pop, though, Deborah and Jeff Jarrett got a huge pop, too. And I was just thinking, if you never watched this as it happened and you just put on SummerSlam 99 as a modern fan, you would think Jeff Jarrett was a huge baby face because oh, you don't yeah. know that they're booing him and cheering Deborah, but the crowd is so hot for the the Jarrett and Deborah entrance. They're hot for D'Lo Brown. This crowd mm. in Minnesota was here for it. They wanted to on enjoy fire. this and this match. That you know, we put these guys over all the time. Two of the best mid carders of the era. These guys through all these years, you know, help WWE's pay per views. They're always a solid hand and together, great chemistry, which would continue later into TNA as well. But yeah. this match, I this is one of the matches I always remembered enjoying from this pay-per-view. I don't like the ending, but that's because, you know, I'm a big D'Lo fan. And as a kid, mm. that annoyed me so much that he <laughs> lost. He was the Euro Continental champ. He had the European and Intercontinental title. But what a great match this was to open the show. Really was too. And just a quick note as well. King is the one that makes the first mention that D'Lo Brown was a CPA. Uh, <laughs> he does it making fun of JR though, which is pretty yeah. great. 
<laughs> As you mentioned, the crowd super. Oh, and, and sorry, sorry, I just want to mention. King mentions the CPA thing, making fun of JR, and then JR right after that mentions D'Lo's weight loss. So within 20 seconds, they hit D'Lo, JR, bingo already. The CPA, (laughs) this man has lost a lot of weight, and that's it. (laughs) It's just so good. But yeah, the crowd is straight into it. We get a great offense, uh, a great array of moves, like, you know, D'Lo... D'Lo busts out a couple of power bombs too, and I've I've said this... I've actually written this down. It's the best D'Lo uh, and or Jeff Jarrett match we've seen so far. Ooh. Like, I reckon. Cool. Can, can you name a better D'Lo match or a better Jarrett match that we've seen so far? D'Lo and X-Pac had a really good one. Yeah, actually. Um, uh, yeah. No, but I reckon in terms of in terms of crowd investment. Oh, this one, and everything? Like, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Because, like, this is the total package. This was a really good match, and you had the great interference, the good storyline, you know, the mm-hmm. high stakes. Everything was good. And man, the moves that you said, you know, these guys were hitting moves. They were hitting moves you wouldn't really see in this era, especially from guys this high up on the card, you know, for mm. the Intercontinental title. They did one sequence that I thought was amazing. D'Lo went for a missile drop kick off the top and Jeff Jarrett caught him midair in a sidewalk slam. He yep. like stood next to him and dropped him. These guys killed it here. Like, I, you know, people say whatever about Jeff Jarrett. He was a great in-ring wrestler. With D'Lo Brown, they had awesome uh, chemistry. This match is fast-paced. It barely slows down. Everything D'Lo does is over as well. When he does his, you know, head shaking, head leg shaking. drop and all of that stuff. Great match. Very, um, very uh, this, good. This is where we get into the shenanigans part of it, which I'm not too... I, I don't. I didn't mind it at all because it really did tell the story and paint the picture really good. Um, so Deborah is on the apron trying to distract, um, uh, distract the referee. In that, Jeff Jarrett gets really, really annoyed and he gets the guitar and he gestures to hit Deborah, uh, to which, of course, JR is just so outraged. Also, this paper is great for JR outrage. It's just oh, the, he's so outraged. One of the top tier ones. But as Jeff Jarrett is about to um about to hit Deborah, Mark Henry comes out and takes the takes the guitar off. Now, Mark Henry and D'Lo are aligned as commentary will tell you you know they've been working out together they've been buddies you know D'Lo's really helping Mark Henry find his feet but in the hugest of shock horrors Mark Henry gets the guitar absolutely takes out D'Lo Brown just completely decimates him with the guitar Jarrett gets the uh gets the win becomes a double champ and JR says it was all collusion it was all collusion it was a setup they set D'Lo up. They knew, send Deborah back. She'll look sad. D'Lo can't resist. He wants to be the gentleman. He'll come <laughs> out with her. He'll be about to win. Then Mark Henry will run out, hit him with a guitar, and they'll all celebrate. Yeah. Uh, I suppose that makes some sense. What's a shame, though? D'Lo Brown's push would kind of end soon once uh, Vince Russo leaves. He was like a big supporter of his. Yeah, um, and then not long after, you know, he would be involved with the accident with Droz. It's a real shame because D'Lo, you could see he was kind of, kind of next on the rise. from the mid card to to keep moving up. Yeah, the Droz, um, accidentally paralyzing Droz in just an unfortunate accident, which actually, yeah, happens I think within the next month or so because it's around August yeah. or oh yeah, around the debut of SmackDown is when it sort of happens, if I recall correctly. But um. Yep. 
But yeah, um, it, it sort of stifles his push. His next big thing of note is a WrestleMania match with the where he tag teams with the Godfather. And he's as he's like cosplaying as one of the one of the pimps. It's just it's it's a kind of a sad ending and then of course had a final hurrah where it looks like he's about to come back as part of lowdown teaming up with chaz then they get repackaged with teaming up with tiger ali singh tiger ali singh and then they get taken out of the royal rumble for mm-hmm. drew carey and then it's <laughs> and then you know what delo would come back a couple of years later but that would go nowhere as well yeah yeah his ruthless aggression run is very forgettable and didn't they rehire him one more time, but he like never made it to TV or something? Something like no, he made after it to the TV. Ruthless aggression. After ruthless aggression, I think in like oh oh seven oh eight. Yeah, like a real weird time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was because after he had like a TNA run, where everyone's like, "Oh, geez, he still got it." Maybe. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it must have been one of those hires where it's like, "Let's just hire him so TNA don't have him." Yeah, because <laughs> WWE did that a little bit back in the day. Yeah, we don't want to use him. We just don't want you to use him. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. <laughs> um, next up, we have the aforementioned promo we were talking about with Edge and Christian. Now, they're number one in this tag team turmoil match, which is sort of like a Royal Rumble-style match for tag teams. Their promo skills, just awful, awful stuff. But Not good. You know, they're still rookies. They're still rookies. Yeah. Um, I thought Christian was very wrestlery, Like, Edge... Mm-hmm was well-spoken, but it sounded fake, whereas Christian was real like, let me tell you something, we're going to come for you. And it just, (laughs) it didn't seem convincing that he was this cool gothic, you know, vampire guy. They're Mm. so close, though. Once they become, you know, proper E&C, then we get to see both their personalities. Christian especially. Yeah. You wouldn't have thought he had anything back here. It is almost like a flick of the switch once they get that tag team title at WrestleMania. It it's instantaneous, but um, yeah, Edge and Christian, um, they're out first, and they're up against the New Brood, which is essentially the Hardy Boys, uh, Hardy Boys with a Z, which I thought was always great, and they're looking a little bit more like the Hardy Boys we know and love. I've got them down at about thirty percent of the way. Yeah, they're almost there. You know what? They they do the thing where they take their t-shirts off, and no one nobody cares. cares. So no they're not there. Yet. Yeah, they don't know the spots yet. um so it's funny it gets really insane it's very hard to keep up with this not because it's chaos but just because there's just so much going on but there is an awesome spot where both edge and jeff hardy are on the outside running on the barricade so at each corresponding barricade and then edge spears jeff across one barricade to the other in like that kofi kingston sort of hope spot gangrel then goes after edge Christian does a crossbody off the off the top rope onto the outside, and then Matt Hardy does a moonsault onto them on the outside. It's just a great sequence. But um, Edge and Christian get the win. But this first bit, this first sort of stanza of the match is just you could see why these guys were sort of banging on the door and said, "Hey, you guys have to notice us." Yeah, this was awesome. This open part of the tag team ter- turmoil with the Hardys and Edge and Christian. The chemistry is getting better and better. We see, yeah, like you mentioned, that crazy sequence, which was classic for these guys. I remember when they hit that spear spot. That was like, oh, my God, did you see what they did? Like, no one's ever seen anything like that, especially Hmm. in the WWE. Uh, It was awesome. The crowd got into it at the end. They were real quiet at the start. They don't really know much about the Hardy Boys yet. By the end of this first part, they were into it. And, yeah, we can see why they would uh, continue on into the next month. 
I got a shout out to Jerry Lawler in this match though for doing a great job of putting these teams over. He even mm. says at the end, he's like, oh, it's a shame both team can't win. This is so great. And even as the, you know, heel commentator, he's saying how good the match is, how exciting it is, and how good everyone mm. is. Um, yeah, I think I've mentioned it before. If you pay attention to King's commentary of who he likes when he says stuff like that, it's usually the more exciting guys and the smaller guys. that so like, is that his taste of wrestling? It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Edge and Christian get the win. Midian and Viscera are out next, and Edge and Christian just am- absolutely dominate against them, put them away pretty quickly, which then brings out Droz and Albert. Uh, the part I was really distracted in this because JR and King all of a sudden just start having a little balmy on um, on commentary, where it starts off with JR saying that nobody cares where Droz plays college football, and basically just trolls JR on commentary. It, it's it's one of the and it, you can tell that JR's really rattled by this too. This was always funny when King would call him out <laughs> for talking about high school football and just and uh, when, if you listen to you know something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, he talks about how much he hates it. What, <laughs> what was it Pritchard down the line telling King? Oh, tell JR to shut up. Can you cut? Yeah. him off? it's pretty yeah. funny. Um, the crowd, though, was so hot for this still. They were getting into Edge and Christian. Thank mm-hmm. God it was quick with Viss and, and Midian, but it was still exciting. Even with Droz and Albert, it was fine. The crowd were crazy for ENC, and it was really fun. All of this uh, yeah. was good up until the um the APA part of the match. That was good, too, because they come out after Edge and Christian beat Droz and Albert. Yeah, so the Acolytes are out uh, in quick succession here, and they just absolutely dominate uh, Edge and Christian, which makes sense because they're a much bigger team, as in like in terms of size and stature. They're trying to dominate the Edge and Christian are fatigued. So I've got nothing wrong with this one. Um, Edge and Christian do get the upper hand for a brief moment as King then asks JR when he's going to mention the football careers <laughs> of uh, Bradshaw and Farouk. To which then JR throws a live round back at him asking about how his mayor campaign's going. Yeah, no, no. First, first he turns into sassy JR and he says, no, you hurt my feelings. And then he <laughs> yeah. says, oh, why don't you tell us about your political career? No one cares about that either. Yeah, yes. it was oh, good. God. That was an amazing exchange. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the match was still good, but it dies an absolute death because... The Acolytes beat Edge and Christian and Mm -hmm. the crowd did not think that was going to happen because then you're left with the Acolytes. Again, pre-APA, I've said APA, they're not. They're the Acolytes and they're left with Hardcore Holly and And Crash Crash Holly. And Crash (laughs) Holly has just debuted, so he's not the fun Hardcore champion yet, blah, blah, blah. It's Crash, who is just a clone of Hardcore Holly in people's mind. And that's not a good thing against pre-APA acolytes. The yeah. crowd makes no noise for this final sequence. The, this final sequence is just... Even there's a bit where Hardcore Holly kicks out of, of the Dominator by Farouk, and it's just kind of like everyone basically has already made their mind up. We don't care anymore. Nope. Who are you meant to cheer? Who on earth are you meant to cheer in this final part of the match? Mm. Yeah, so the acolytes get the win after the Hollies start arguing with each other. And they go on to meet the tag team champions on Raw tomorrow night. Mm. So yeah, you can I can kind of see the logic behind having Edge and Christian lose. Like it's that age old thing of of you know give them the rub, 
uh, air quotes there, but like really, they were never going to win the tag titles anyway. Why not just have them go all the way yeah. and then just get smashed by the eventual tag team champions, which we'll get to. Mm. On, you know uh, what? On Actually, Raw. I'm just thinking now. I reckon I remember why I hated the show as a kid. Because mm. of the finishes, like, and not like, oh, I was a smart fan. Yeah. I could have booked it better than Russo. But I would have wanted D'Lo Brown to win. I would have wanted the Acolytes not to win because I not thought win, they yeah. were boring as a kid. Uh, and then later on, we'll get to a, another couple of the decisions. So, yeah, if I'm watching it just for the matches, like, it's kind of fun so far. But I think that's, yeah, some of the questionable decisions. Very much so. Um, and next up, we see a, a weird little bit where Big Show and Undertaker enter the arena. They're the unholy alliance at the moment. It's just weird seeing Taker in like, you know, I, I guess that's his street clothes. <laughs> yeah, he's casual, but because he's not the biker yet, we're not used to it. Anytime he's in casual <laughs> clothes, it's odd. I hate it's him just... in the Big Show so much. It really is. And we'll touch on that a little bit later on. But we also see Al Snow talking to Pepper in such... Pepper is his little dog, and if you know your wrestling, you kind of know where this is leading you to. But uh, yep. yeah, a little waste of time segment that one. Mm, I hate Al Snow too, so you know, yeah. there's a lot on this show that's reminding <laughs> me why I didn't like it. Yeah, I was about to say, all of a sudden, the 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 cup runneth over into the hate side. <laughs> yeah. um, next up, Road Dog is out, and he's in street clothes, uh, and he cuts a promo about not being booked. We then see the Y2J countdown which interrupts Road Dog's promo to say how much of an injustice it is. that um, he, he does his full shtick here. And Road Dog basically goes and says to him, why don't you just shut up, bitch? Which you can tell probably threw off Jericho a little bit, I reckon. Mm, yeah, this was kind of weird. Jericho's promo was odd because he runs down how boring the WWE is and you're all oh, idiots to coming it? to the show. Yeah, and he's coming to save it. That was the point of Y2J. He calls it Summer Sham, and he yeah. says everyone's a boring performer. It's it's weird because that wasn't his gimmick any other time, but this little period where they thought that's what it was going to be really doesn't yeah. work. Um, and yeah, Road Dog tries his best, tells him to shut up, and Jericho does his you know over-the-top pouty faces, which he would tone down. But I think he was just trying to still figure it out, whatever Y2J is. Um, yeah. And when Jericho says, you know, no one cares about you, Road Dog, Road Dog does say, well, my mama cares about me. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> and look, Jericho does his best to to um, to sort of get the, like, you know, hit those beats. Like, he's just like, listen to the silence that people are greeting you, Road Dog, because no one cares. And then the crowd starts cheering, obviously. And then Jericho turns out around with like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mm. But it also kind of shows that just because, you know, like now you're in a different league here, mate. Like it, it's one of the few times you see Jericho out of his out of his depth a little bit. Yeah. Well, it was like he stood out so much in WCW because for a mid-carder there, he was absolutely the most charismatic and best on the mic and, you know, the most fun and creative. Well, here... Now you've got Road Dog. Now you've got The Rock. Now you've got Steve Austin. You got Mick yeah. Foley. You know you better step up. It's not like oh, I'll just come out and say some funny lines from Spinal Tap. Like yeah, it's yeah. a little bit yeah. more. Um, so next up, we've got Al Snow. He puts Pepper out of harm's way in a little in a little doggy thingy. You know the little things that they used to transport pets. But anyway, uh, Road Dog 
is he comes out too and joins the commentary team. And all I got to say is this road dog, just go to the back, mate. Like we don't need road dog in for this next segment because it gets absolutely awful. Big boss man comes out next because it's for the hardcore championship. Al Snow jumps on him at the entrance way at the entrance way. Road dog leaves commentary, grabs a live mic and then does roaming commentary, which as we all know, is a horrible idea because there's no, there is no, because uh, uh, he's cutting over, he's cutting over the top of Jr. and King. It's just an addition that no one wants. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he can really pull it off. And someone even as charismatic as Road Dog, he couldn't pull off the the roving commentary, especially yeah. then going backstage, then going on the street, then going to a bar. It's kind of interesting. Road Dog is so creative and so quick witted and blah blah blah. Even he was struggling to come up with anything fun to yeah. say. He was like, oh, who gave him that stick? Or it was just, yeah. yeah, they end up in a bar and Al Snow wins because Road Dog hits the boss man with a nightstick. There's nothing like these seemed creative at the time. Like, oh my God, they're backstage. Oh my God, they're on the street. We've seen these guys do it on pay-per-views already. Like we've- Three yeah. times already. <laughs> yeah, God, the novelty wears off. This All isn't I said Austin was, and yeah. The Rock. It's Boss Man and Al Snow. Yeah. All I said is the bar looks like the one backstage in WWF No Mercy on Nintendo 64. There's kind of cool bit where Al Snow does a moonsault over off the bar. As you said, Road Dog's the one he gets he gets Boss Man's nightstick. Um Al Snow then grabs two billiard balls and then smacks Boss Man in the nads. Mm, he kind of and... gently rubs them on him. He didn't hit him <laughs> yeah. very high. It was really weird. He, he kind of backed out and if that's not weird enough post-match they do that thing where they just sprint back to the arena uh which we've seen three times beforehand where it's just like what what is there a curfew is the door gonna close like (laughs) you don't win the belt unless you get there on time like yeah you gotta pin the guy and then run back else is running back and then he starts beating up the blue world order for some reason blue meanie and stevie richards for some reason and it's not even doesn't even explain that. And Road Dog is still rambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. it's just it's just poor effort all around. But that leads us to our next little Jesse the Body Venture backstage segment. Uh, he's in a vignette with Mankind. Mankind at least is trying to make it entertaining. He's doing his damn best. <laughs> yeah, Mankind asks Jesse like after Jesse goes on his long spiel about you better follow the rules, Mick. I know how you wrestle. Foley <laughs> just fires back asking about one of his candidates that he ran against. <laughs> and you see Jesse almost pause for a sec, but then he just answers it like legit, which is pretty funny. They should have just kept the camera rolling. That would have been good. Uh, that part was great. Um, uh, we I didn't get him about conspiracies. Oh, that would have been <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell me about yeah. Area 51. <laughs> Then that would be completely different. All of a sudden, the feed goes to black very quickly when that <laughs> yeah. happens. Um, so, yeah, we, we then get a brief little look at the Lion's Den, which is going to be in action later on. But that leads us to our first women's match of the night, which is Ivory. He's the champion. She's taking on Tori. There's a flashback to Sunday Night Heat where Ivory wrote some uh, rather disparaging words on Tori with some boot polish. Um, Tori runs out in the match like a house on fire and this is a pretty basic match between these two in but you know we got to put it in in the context of what it is it is what you got during this era it was actually pretty good for the time was it i was gonna say this was terrible i thought saying it was basic was being generous um oh look ivory's one of the better uh ivory's one of the better 
uh, women on the roster. That she can is. Sort of but yeah. Tori, I think we found between this and WrestleMania with Sable, Tori is garbage. Mm. Isn't it weird that Tori came in and they're like, oh, you know, she wrestled in Japan. She's pretty good. She's pretty muscly. She's terrible. What's, what's actually, I don't know. Does she ever have a good match? No. And what's actually quite <laughs> funny, it's almost like after she left the WWF, she's gone into witness protection. Because if you try to look up the, like, you know, like maybe she did something after this brief yeah. two-year run. It's like, it's like nothing. You'd barely find a thing. Like you at it's least so can weird. find stuff. You, you know how like um the cat, uh, or Miss Kitty, whatever, uh, yeah, Stacey yeah. Carter, she at least went on to be real, do real estate. You know, she was the king's wife. There's a whole second chapter of her life but tori is almost like if you remove these two years that she's an active wrestler she might not have well existed <laughs> this match i wish didn't exist it gets so <laughs> awkward the crowd is so quiet these people here uh in uh, minneapolis they could not care less about this match the ending though I've, i was trying to find out what actually happened ivory goes for a sunset flip and then botches it out. yeah they kind of botch it then they do it again and ivory just like holds tori down even though her shoulder's up the ref just counts it mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what happened but ivory looked like she just said all right i'm just ending this now yeah. like if, if you can't they lie down to go for home. a sunset flip we're just we're going home <laughs> uh yeah ivory then tries to strip tori but luna vachon of all people comes out to chase her off so mm. it was it was a footnote that's just what women's wrestling was back yeah also you said the first women's match of the night there isn't a second one. Oh yeah <laughs> exactly. it's 1999 um next up we have the rock doing a promo with michael cole uh rock is in peak promo style here completely has the crowd in the palm of his hand and then we see billy gunn after his promo I with something under a tarp yeah, we see, yeah, talk about a contrast of going from The Rock cutting a charismatic promo to Billy Gunn not knowing what to say with this thing under a sheet. He's trying to be like, oh, wait until everyone sees this surprise. I don't know what happened to Billy Gunn's charisma when he left DX, but mm. it just didn't, so everything felt off with him in this era. Um, I just want to say with The Rock's promo, it saved the show up to this yep. point after... It felt like it was taking a nosedive. This was a, a promo. Maybe this was the first time, definitely on pay-per-view, where he's interviewing Michael Cole. That's the the gimmick of this promo. He says, let mm -hmm. me do this. And he asked Michael Cole if he's a little kum si kum sa, which he would <laughs> say a lot in his promos. And I never knew, I, like I knew what he was implying, what it meant in the yeah. context of a promo. But I've never known what it meant. Obviously, we didn't have Google back then. I looked it up because I was like, what does it actually mean? What does mean? it mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's French for so-so, <laughs> like indifferent. So he's saying, yeah, I kind of knew, I kind of thought that's what it meant. Like, that's what the what he's implying. Yeah. <laughs> saying, you know, the way you're looking at the rock. But yeah, for some reason, he decided to use the French word for That's it's, pretty funny. <laughs> that's very creative, too. Yeah, because like... <laughs> <laughs> just poor michael cole like that like to be fair like he gets his flowers now and he well deserves it michael cole uh, oh, absolutely a great announcer but the crap he had to take from dx and the rock and, and the rock 
Yeah. There was even a great rock promo where the rock just put a shirt on his face, <laughs> yeah. like off a, off a rando smacked out, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah. Quickly, we'll go through the next match, which is a, um, a recap of the Shamrock versus Steve Blackman feud. It's a Lions Den match. And is this Shamrock's final WWE pay for you? It might be. I feel like he's gone pretty mm. soon. And it's weird. He, ha- he has a real iffy. 99 you know things aren't the best they tried him as a heel he was in the corporation then he was out of the corporation he was yeah. still over here though the crowd was more into him than i would have thought at this part of his run Same. still look great still over they buy everything uh steve blackman has his cool music mm-hmm. this was pretty fun i actually forgot about this uh lion's den match this one has weapons so each guy gets to act like they're in a martial arts movie <laughs> and it's fine. It's pretty fun. It's not too long. It's better than the, uh, what did they call it? The Iron Circle <laughs> car park match. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've written down here that Shamrock's in his WWF No Mercy default attire. <laughs> um, he, he's a huge fan favorite. Shamrock gets the kendo stick. It's a really cool, cool underlying story that Shamrock's great in the Lion's Den. Like that's his match. But Steve Blackman's the great one with the weapons. I've actually put down here that this is probably the best Lion's Den match. Sure, we've only got a what a very small um pool to choose from but i love this match i thought it was awesome how many have there been two two just this one this and, owen? and the one with owen the one with owen's good too but yeah, maybe I, this I one's just, better because of the weapons it could i be. like it because of the weapons and because yeah, shamrock actually looks like he's about to lose like and and the crowd is so pro shamrock they it's really so are. weird <laughs> it's pretty fun to be fair ken shamrock's he had two SummerSlam Lions Den matches, you know, back-to-back years. It's all good. I liked it. Ken Shamrock then climbs onto the cage and celebrates. It's a fun visual. Next up, we've got Kevin Kelly, who recaps uh, Shane McMahon attacking Test with a kendo stick on Sunday Night Heat. Now, this is a Greenwich Street fight in a Lover or Leave Her match. Uh, so, basically, they're just... they're um. They're wrestling for the right to date Stephanie McMahon. If Shane wins, Test can't go near his sister. If Test wins, well, Shane has to just let them live a happy life. Um, side note, Test theme, severely underrated. Test, test. This is a test. And then just whatever they say after that. We used to always <laughs> love it. Like when me and my brother and my mates would play SmackDown. If anyone mm. would pick test, everyone would just <laughs> sing along. What what on earth are the lyrics? I have no idea, but I used to remember. That's it. And it's funny too, because it sort of sounds like he changes his mind up and just says something else, which yeah. also doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good though. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we, we see the cool little vignette, um, well, in the recap of it of Test taking out the Mean Street posse on on Raw, which really established him as a badass too. Yeah, I remember that from watching Superstars, the recap of Test beating the crap out of the Mean Street posse. He injures each one of them, which is kind of fun because then it's like, all right, we know you're going to interfere in the match, so I'll take you out early. And yeah, Test looked like a badass. Um, You know, people thought he was going to be a future main eventer. And if you watch it this era, you, you... It's hard to argue why he wasn't, because um, he really did have the look. He was kind of, like, he was almost like a diet Kevin Nash. He kind of, he definitely was diet <laughs> Kevin Nash. But hey, that's still cool, you know. Mm. Not big, sexy, just you know, medium, 
somewhat pretty good sexy. looking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Somewhat all right ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the music, uh, sorry, the Main Street Posse is out to support Shane after Test took them all out. And we get into the match, and Test has the upper hand early. Um, the action then spills to the outside. Test does an awesome press slam of Shane McMahon into the entire posse, but then the tables get turned on him and they triple team him before he gets thrown back at ringside. And then they start uh, passing Shane McMahon weapons. It's a really chaotic match, but this is probably where the the second half, this is probably where it sort of takes a turn for the better. Yeah. The oh, entire uh, show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This match is the standout. I think most people look at this as, you know, the best match from the show. Shane McMahon had the great match with X-Pac at WrestleMania. He had this match here. Shane McMahon in 99, you know, was everything that David Flair would have hoped to have been for someone <laughs> who's, you know, the son and, and you know. Of a just, legend, yeah. Yeah, and you wouldn't expect them to be a good wrestler. But this match is fun. You mentioned the press slam into the crowd that, that tested to Shane. Then when they're handing Shane weapons to beat up Test with, he hits him with a mailbox, which looked awesome. Hit him with a sign that looked awesome. And then he had a framed picture of the Mean Street Posse that he was going to break over Tess's head, which he did. But did you see that Shane was holding it the wrong way around? He was no. holding it glass way forward to himself. So when he hits Tess, it all goes into his face. And you see him Jeez. recoil and he's like, oh shit. Lucky he <laughs> didn't get in anything in his eye because that is yeah. not how you break yeah they would have been obviously planning to do it the other way i'd hope no you would think that but then again after seeing shane mcmahon and kurt angle in 01 you just never know what that mad bastard's thinking guy's got bad luck with glass yeah (laughs) yeah um the posse are out again they dominate uh they sort of dismantle the spanish announce table and put test on it and shane gets airborne with a huge flying elbow through test on the table uh, Pete Gas keeps the ref occupied as Joey Abs and Rodney revive Shane in a really cool spot where they throw water on him. Like it's just, yeah. it, it's this match has it all. But Test kicks out to a massive pop. It's like the audience is just so into this match. Well, remember at this point we've never seen Shane do that elbow before. That this is yeah. like the first time, and it's iconic. That's the move, you know the elbow drop to the outside to the table. It looks amazing still, especially back here. And yeah, the crowd bought it. They thought that would be the end. Like, why would anyone kick out of that? Test kicks out. The crowd is even hotter now. They were fully into this match from the start, but it goes up a notch. They're fully into it. We then get the referee kicked accidentally by Test. Then the Mean Street mm-hmm. Posse interfere. Then you hear the crowd go absolutely mental. The, the camera then shows why. Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe get an <laughs> absolute <Stooges>. massive <laughs> road warriors pop here and they yeah. come out and wreck the Main Street Posse. The, the, look, it was like it was the 70s again for these guys and the yeah. crowd are just eating it up. It was an awesome moment that I forgot. I forgot that happened in this match. I also forgot that too. To put it on par, it's like the le- the level of pop, if you put it in modern terms, is like the Usos leaving the bloodline. It was so huge. But yeah, Test gets a power slam and then a huge flying elbow, which is actually a pretty good flying elbow as well. Like yeah. from Test. Test had a really fun moveset that I think in modern terms people would be like, ooh, 
he should be world champion because of the, you know he had the yeah. pump handle slam he had the awesome spinning gut wrench power bomb he did the elbow drop he had the big boot like he had this great variety of like finishing moves it was pretty cool he had a great uh a move set you know for mm. modern terms and yeah great elbow drop abs and then three quarters of the ring too bloody went bad. for it and then the best part about this is Stephanie McMahon, full <laughs> damsel in distress mode, running out happy. It's just, well, and the crowd is eating every bit up. It's like a Telemundo special. Yeah, but Stephanie McMahon running out like she just won the lottery. She's got her arms in the air like she's going to a shopping Real price spree. Is right yeah, stuff. price yeah. is right. That's perfect. Her and Vince McMahon being like secretly goofy is so funny. Like when Vince McMahon, I think when WWE wins the Survivor Series against the Invasion, he's real over the top too it's very funny to the point where it's immortalized and he's titan tron i think yeah, uh, I think it it's, it's just so good oh, i can't wait for vince's titan tron when we get to it in the 2000s <laughs> when they put in him dressed as rick flair as well that was in his titan tron for years yeah. Too. yeah with that little caricature of vince where he just looked evil yeah <laughs> uh between that and Eric Bischoff's Titan Dron, where it just said, I'm back, and it's just him tapping his yeah, chest. Yeah, doing the chest out. <laughs> you know, actually, a friend pointed this out yesterday. We're watching um, AEW, and then he was like, oh, they do it in WWE as well. He said, how come no one has actual Titan Trons anymore with, like, highlights? It's just yeah. the logo now. Is yeah. it, you know, I maybe it... on the entrance, I suppose they just want to, like, brand it. No, no, I, they, they miss... don't even have it on... No, no, yeah. that's what I'm saying. But like now, hmm. everyone's entrance just like their logo and them walking. I miss the the sort of highlight videos. Could it be because there's no actual like there's no screens anymore? Because the entire thing's a giant LED. You can't just have that like wall to wall of just you know John Cena highlights. But surely part of it you can because don't they show stuff on the Tron all the time? No, no, it's always the logo. No, no, like, you know, when someone's doing a promo and, like, someone will be like, oh, who's that on the screen? No, no 100%. The only Are you time saying they, they use... never cut to the screen anymore? No, no. What about when that... Nakamura cut a promo on, like, Seth Rollins on Raw? Who, Where was everyone watching it? Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Because I know... the screen. Because I know, because I remember for when you, whenever you watch like HD era, like super HD era uh, Raw and SmackDown, that's always just the dull logo. And it's only when they pan out, they use the little, um, you know, like the, the little center sort of um, video screens that they have at like hockey games. Yeah. Yeah. But just because like everything's a giant LED. This is one we're going to have to follow up. Yeah. Okay. You, that's interesting. Yeah. Because, like, I think that's the only thing, because at some point in time, you have to sort of define what's still screen and what's set, yeah, don't you? Yeah, okay, yeah. Which, which would then look weird if it's just like, well, if you're going to have it... I, I don't know how they do it, but anyway. Mm. It's one it's one to watch, because, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of people where... Because they always have, like, Seth Rollins or even Becky Lynch, like, staring at something. Yeah, aren't they looking at the screen? Maybe they're not. All right, we've got to find that. Yeah, we've got to find that out. But, um, yeah, so... Um, huge, huge pop for this one. Great match. And then we sort of have a look back uh, at the formation of Undertaker and The Big Show. Um, they form an alliance. We see how Kane and X-Pac link up, which was one of the better, the really good stories and was the thing that was driving basically the corpse of DX at this time, wasn't it? 
yeah oh x-puck was killing it here what a memorable angle i think anyone around our age who grew up watching this looks back fondly at x-puck mm. and kane this great you know mismatch and odd couple uh this was so good x-puck was so over at this time him and kane everyone loved him again this whole idea of x-puck hate blah 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 the guy had a great run through this era, one of the most over guys who was involved in the main event on the last pay-per-view. He's involved mm. in one of the biggest matches here with The Undertaker uh, and, you know, all these other big main eventers. X-Puck was killing it. Uh, great video package. I hate The uh, the Undertaker and Big Show as a team so much, but it yep. wouldn't last long. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, so we get a little pre-match promo. X-Puck says it, it's a, it might be a mismatch on paper, but, you know, they're both in sync and, you know, like and Kane's, Kane and him are just, you know, all on the same page. The Kane DX hybrid entrance. I forgot this even existed. It's so cool. Oh, this was a good one. One of the good mixed themes because it's so simple. Mm. You do the Kane organ intro and then when it goes, it turns into break it down and we get the yeah. DX song and... Yeah, it's cool. X-Pac has matched Kane. He's got like mm-hmm. the red version of the the singlet. Looks so good. Both of these guys, yeah, we're on fire here. And hometown crowd uh, for mm-hmm. X-Pac, they're going mental for him. It's good. The It's also the, the, the pyro part too, where X-Pac does little crotch chops yeah. and then Kane wraps it up with the four posts on fire. Really very, cool. very cool presentation here. Uh, I think this is Taker's last run before we see him as the American badass next year, isn't it? Yeah, thankfully. Uh, mm. Undertaker didn't have a good 99. I know he was no. world champ. He had the one match with Austin uh, or whatever, a couple of matches. It is not good. He's running every 99. Time, it's just off. Him, though, every time he has the world title, the WWE title, I should I should specify, every time he's had that, it's just been the shittest run. <laughs> has he like, had a good it, world it, title run? You could argue he has when he had the world title, like, you know, the big gold belt. Um, like, you know, those matches with hmm. Batista. Oh, and great like- matches, but they were always short runs and, like, nothing yeah. ever happens. I feel like he was much better with the big gold belt. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that was probably because he had the tenure because everyone was just like, oh, he's so respected now. Whereas his three reigns as WWF champ are just shit. It's mm. just, there's They're no way going on. They're really not good. But, um, so um, X-Pac with, with a sneak attack is great until Taker is like, to hell with this, and just absolutely just goes for some chokeslam attempts. All I can say is I've written down here, this is the most relevant Big Show has been in the WWF so far. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, I don't like him and The Undertaker, but for Big Show, this was this was good. And, you yeah. know, the, the biggest... He's eating well least, now. <laughs> yeah, the best thing he's, he's done. Uh, this is a really good tag team match. X-Pac's been in a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. recently that we've seen. This one was really good. They kind of, what I thought was interesting, they switched who was going for the hot tag quite often. You'd think, mm. oh, well, why would X-Puck ever get the hot tag? But he did a couple of times. He'd get cut off. Him and Kane were, you know, doing great work as baby faces. Big Show and Taker do their part as well. JR on commentary is really good, putting over, even though he's the smallest man, you know, I believe in X-Pac. I believe in Sean Waltman. I believe in this man. Yeah. And then Jerry Lawler says, do you believe in the Easter Bunny too? And yeah, JR yeah. sounded very offended by that. It was great. And King even does a really great job too, just sort of like amplifying just how much of an underdog and how they're like, he's not being mean. He's just like, he's 
pointing out the facts here. Just like, like he, he X Park is severely undermanned here. He's almost like he's the one that single handedly makes the Big Show a threat. King, King's the guy that sort of bigs him up because Big Show does nothing. But I did like that they kind of worked that into the story because Big Show gets a choke slam on X Park and then does a cocky pin on him which then X-Park kicks out of and Taker loses his mind. He does the real disappointed dad sort of mm. thing. Like, oh, what? I'm going to have to take care of this myself. And then just with authority, does this massive tombstone, tags himself in and then gets the one, two, three, and then basically stares daggers into Big Show. Like that's the best part of, the, of this entire union. Yeah. And he said, and it's kind of pointing out like, oh, that's how you do it. You big idiot. That's the point. He's trying to give Big Show that killer instinct. Mm. I, I kind of get it as a story. It kind of made sense. I really hated that ending. And no, I think this is a... another one because you would think he's kicked out of the choke slam. Oh, okay. Well, he's going to reverse the tombstone because they've been talking or Kane's going to interfere, but no, he just gets tombstone and loses. Yeah. It's kind of a deflating ending to a good match. Yeah. And we talk about the the little pairing of Big Show and Undertaker. I think the intention of it was to raise the stock of Big Show. Yeah. If anything, it just lowered the rent for Undertaker. <laughs> he just, it, it was just like, why? Like this guy was like part of the main event story with the corporate ministry. Now he's tagging with the Big Show. What was what the yeah, Was the Undertaker wanting to do this and try and put people over? Like, did he think his career was winding down? Because he had the match with the boss man at WrestleMania. He wrestled Ken Shamrock at Backlash or whatever. He wrestled, mm. you know, teamed with the big show here. I don't know what's going on with The Undertaker. I think he was just trying to help out and make new stars. Mm. He was just, he's like, he's the ultimate company man, remember? This is the guy that was in gimmick for like 29 years. Oh, we'll get to the era soon, though, we, you know, in our <laughs> timeline when people would bitch about him. In the same breath as Triple H, like, oh, The Undertaker beats everyone, never puts anyone. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Uh, So next up, it's another Jesse the Body Ventura uh, segment. He does the same shtick he did with Triple H and Mankind (laughs) towards Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Austin's just like, you know what? I don't need this. (laughs) He (laughs) He just just walks walks off, which is good. And (laughs) Jesse's left there. Just, hey, come back here. (laughs) How dare you? I'm just like, he looks so indignant at it. But, um... (laughs) Uh, so next up, it is Mr. Ass versus The Rock. It's a kiss my ass match, and Billy Gunn has a mystery person with him. He he takes the little sheet off this lady, and I will quote Jim Ross, and reveals a full size lady. Yeah, that he's um, going to make The Rock kiss kiss her ass. Yeah, it's a kiss my ass match, and Billy Gunn says, "The Rock, you know, you're not good enough to kiss my ass. You're going to kiss this one." JR, the immortal phrasing, yeah, calling her a full-size lady. King, though, with a great zinger, <laughs> he said, I've heard of buns of steel before. These are buns of cinnamon, which was <laughs> amazing. JR and King, you could tell they thought this whole thing was so stupid. They mm. basically spend the entire match just talking about this woman and how stupid this whole idea of a kiss my ass concept is they're barely calling the match they are just no. trying to come up with uh with fat jokes which is politically they, incorrect i understand but that's what they were doing i i will share this one which really popped me uh the one where jr says uh she's the ample designated ass which is suitable for kissing oh that was amazing i tried writing that down <laughs> word for word <laughs> that was so that good was- that was like, so you're right. They're having a lot of fun. 
I've just written here, um, The Rock put the upper hand on Billy Gunn. Uh, he takes him to the entranceway. And I've just written it, written down here, Billy, Gl- Billy Gunn is being outclassed by The Rock in every single level here. He's just not at that standard. Yeah, this is the big one. I know it's sort of legendary or infamous, um, but Billy Gunn, for whatever reason, it just fell apart when he went singles here. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't meant to be a heel just this doesn't work and he looks out of place i know he looks physically great and jr says oh you won't find two better athletes than these guys he goes on and on about it no billy gunn he's doing his best just didn't work here uh the match is fine just billy gunn yeah like you said gets outclassed and he doesn't look on the right level as the rock uh, so then it leads to a famous uh, and Billy Gunn brings in the large lady, but The Rock reverses it and throws Billy Gunn into, and I quote from JR, The Rock just put Billy Gunn's face in that large woman's ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was yep. calling the match. He was just calling the match, calls it as he sees it. And um, yeah, Rock Bottom gets the win, and thankfully that ends that experiment. Mm-hmm. And it was done. Billy Gunn yeah. goes back to DX pretty soon, and that's kind of it. Mm. Uh, look, it, it all turned out pretty good for Billy Gunn. I mean, he's still wrestling today. I'm sure he looks back at that fondly. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get to our main event, and the build-up to SummerSlam is kind of convoluted, but also at the same time it is kind of cool as well. Um, it's a, There's so many weird little bumps in the road, like China becoming the number one contender, uh, mankind getting inserted into this, but it all ends up with a very cool ending with a double pin, which leads to the triple threat match because Shawn Michaels is obviously trying to push mankind as, yep, he's the guy that's going to face uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin at SummerSlam. Shane McMahon's there to do a um, bit on Triple H bidding. It's one of the few times where Austin is taking a back seat in the build-up, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was weird watching it back. It was kind of a good video and a good recap of the feud. The feud had so many moving parts. But Austin isn't really a factor for the most part. It's all about who's going to be the number one contender. It's kind of weird that China was the number one contender (laughs) twice in this video, and then she's just not even in the match. Yeah, yeah, a a good video and a good storyline going into it you also had jesse ventura so it was a big one this got a lot of media press very much um, so yeah have him back in the fold especially even if you know like you know his relationship with the wwe wasn't good years ago because he uh, took him to court for royalties and won so one of the few times someone got the upper hand on vince um a fun segment and you know recap but just thinking about the sort of backstage, you know, sort of legend of this match, it was mm. meant to be Triple H and Austin. Austin didn't want to put Triple H over. He didn't think he was ready. They yeah. put Foley in the match so Foley could win the title and become a transitional champ. Yeah. It's weird between this and the Rock and Billy Gunn match where, you know, legend goes that the Rock didn't want to work with Billy Gunn and didn't think he was ready either. It's interesting that The Rock and Austin both pulled rank on this pay-per-view <laughs> and were like, no, nah, no, nah, this, this isn't going to work. You know, Vince also, Russo, you can see yeah. why maybe he was frustrated and also thought, you know, my plans, they're not working. There's also another uh, um, like bit of urban legend to that where it sort of says that uh, Jesse the Body Venture being a governor can't exactly like, you know, endorse a heel. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Too, so. 
So there's so many different work and moving parts, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to the match because uh, so Jesse, the body Ventura comes out who is uh, like we mentioned, he's the actual governor of Minnesota. So he is in charge of that state. He addresses the controversy about him being there to a huge pop where he's like, you know, I was a wrestler. I am a wrestler and I'm proud to be a wrestler to a massive pop. Really good. But JR even's kind of like, amen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That was really cool. I wonder if that was on the fly because it looked like he just took the mic and did it. I reckon, um, yeah. I reckon I'm he all, just. I'm always put off by Governor Jesse Ventura, where he's like clean shaven head and, you know, a like nice clean mustache because it's the mm. only time in his life in the public eye. Because prior to this, he's all, you know, feathers in his ear and wacky sunglasses and tie dye this and bleach blonde hair. But as governor, he played the role and like, oh, I'm clean cut. The second he stopped being governor, he just went off the rails again, grew out the yep. the horse, grew out the hair, <laughs> yeah, yep. leather jackets again. <laughs> just this is a moment in time of him looking normal. Normal, yeah. So the match uh, is pretty decent. Mankind comes out with a huge ovation. Triple H comes out with my time and a very very crappy chain vest mm. thingy. Triple H's first WWF main event is this one. Yeah, that's his first title shot. First title shot. I feel like oh, he was in the main event of Capital Carnage with Taker and Austin. I just just remember that one, yeah. But yeah, so it's his first WWF title shot. Um, It's also the most... I've written down here, it's the most wrestling match of all the Stone Cold Steve Austin's main events. (laughs) And it's a triple threat, so you wouldn't expect it. Um, yeah. th- these guys have good chemistry. All go- all of these guys, I was thinking of every combination of them. All of them have had a legendary feud with each other or yeah. like an all-time classic match with each other. So the chemistry's there. They work good. I don't remember this match being as good as it was. I actually enjoyed this. Nice. Same here. Yeah, yeah it was good. Uh, was this, I was trying to think, is this the first triple threat main event on a WWE pay-per-view aside from Capital Carnage? Yeah, yeah I think you might be right, actually. I think it is. Unless we go with them, uh, the only other one I can think that isn't, if we ignore Survivor Series and um, and Canadian Stampede, because uh, those those were main events that were multi man. Oh, multi man, yeah, definitely. There's been multi man, but as a triple threat, this might I, be the yeah, first one. This, this is the yeah. first triple threat, I think. Yeah. Um. So, China gets ejected by Jesse the Body Ventura, <laughs> and and as as he does that, Austin and um, Triple H brawl at the entranceway. Uh, Mankind and Triple H team up briefly here, but um, there's a really good little sequence towards the end where there's a stunner on Mankind and Triple H breaks it up with a chair shot. He then takes out Mick Foley and goes for the cover, but Jesse Ventura, true to his word, won't count the pinfall because of the chair shot and the crowd erupts. Yeah, because he said the match has to end in the ring with a wrestling move. Like, he he didn't mind if they brawled on the outside, but you can't use a weapon. He's only going to count it for a real ending. And yet, when he doesn't count Triple H's pinfall and they get into each other's faces, Jesse Ventura is so damn over in Minnesota. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> they love it. You know, if, if he could have, if they led to a Triple H-Jesse Ventura match, if that could have happened, it would have been huge. Like, yeah, everyone was into it. Looked like Triple H was having a lot of fun too, interacting with Jesse Ventura. Shane McMahon then comes out. And so you're right, though. This is one of the few times where the WWF have dipped back into the past. Yeah. Uh, because they never did it at all. There was such a disconnect between this and and uh, the previous sort of era, like the new generation era. It was just so disconnected. Like, 
it's it's you're right this is such an odd moment in time but yeah so then shane mcmahon comes out to argue but gets a stunner for his troubles and then jesse ventura ejects him over the top rope like Rey Mysterio into by Kevin Nash style. Oh. It's so good. And and then gives that one liner about Vince McMahon. Yeah, he says, that's for your old man, you little bastard. It's good. <laughs> uh, we then see like a double Socko attempt by Mankind. Um, there's a pedigree on Austin. Mankind breaks it up and then gives a double arm DDT on Stone Cold Steve Austin, gets the win, and Mankind is champion. Mm, the crowd doesn't know how to react to that. It's a flat yeah. ending because they don't hate Mick Foley. They just didn't want him to win. They wanted yeah. Austin to win. Yeah. And when Foley wins, they cheer, but they know that means Austin has now lost the title. Yeah. And and not only that too, like if if they if Triple H won, it would kind of be it would be a more satisfying ending because at least, you know, oh, this is the guy that Austin's obviously going to like get the title. Yeah. And oh my God, a new champion. We've never had this guy as champion. You get that novelty. Foley winning was really like, oh, oh, okay. We've seen that happen. Yeah. We'll get to what happens with the title in just a moment because there's a bit of post-match shenanigans that happen. Triple H just loses it. He starts absolutely laying into Stone Cold Steve Austin with a chair. China returns as Triple H continues the beatdown. There's refs trying to stop it, but China's sort of holding them at bay. JR is losing his mind in absolute JR fashion. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, JR goes off. The show goes off the air with uh, Triple H beating up uh, Austin. They said they were going to cut to the back and get a word with Mick Foley. Did that ever happen? No. No, it didn't. Absolutely. Okay, I thought no. it was just my version. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. J, um, Triple H for good measure also takes out Sergeant Slaughter for good measure <laughs> as well. Mm. But um, yeah, that wraps up SummerSlam '99. A couple of things to note: um, Triple H then wins the title on Raw the following night off yeah. uh, Mankind. So it's just a twenty-four hour reign. It's the most transitional of transitional <laughs> champions. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, but a solid pay-per-view. Uh, the only one of the big four so far to actually tick all the boxes if you bar the women's match. Which is crazy because I really thought this show wasn't good when I would just think about it. But better than, as a full show, better than the Rumble, better yeah. than WrestleMania, absolutely. Better than King of the Ring. Yeah. A fairly um, good we... show top to bottom, like for the most part. Yeah. If we look at, um, if we go for the MVP match, I'm going to have to put down the test uh, versus Shane McMahon street fight. Like I forgot how good it was because it's two people that have just sort of been designated to footnotes of, uh, of, of WWE history. <laughs> it's so weird to say that Shane McMahon is a footnote, <laughs> but he is again. It's so weird. He yeah. had to come back and he was like back in it and now he's gone again. And you're like, Shane's gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's Shane and Test were the MVPs. Uh, that's the standout match. It has, you know what? It's not only the best match, but it's the only match with a satisfying ending. That's yep. what lets this show down. Oh, and Ken yeah. Shamrock, but that doesn't count. That's just that a, doesn't really count. Yeah. All you know, it's all heels winning on the show. It's Mick Foley winning, who isn't a heel, but no one wanted him to win. Yeah, Test simply beating Shane. He hugs Stephanie. We get a happy ending and after mm. this great, entertaining brawl. Yeah, I don't know. Flip a coin. Is it Tester? Is it Shane? Either way, they kill Either it. way. 
Yeah. Um, so next up, we've got WWF Unforgiven, which uh, will be the next pay-per-view. But the next edition of Reliving the War will be Fall Brawl 1999. And I could tell you right now, that one is going to require... <laughs> you might as well go back and watch King of the Ring because that will make King of the Ring look like WrestleMania 17. Oh, no, really? What on yep. earth is the main event? Uh, the main event, if I recall, is Sting versus Hogan. Oh, God. Again? Yeah. Sting versus Red and Yellow Hogan as well. Is it heel Sting? Uh, this is where uh, this is where he turns heel, if I recall oh, correctly. God. <laughs> and and you want to talk about like this this him and Lex Luger turn heel, and they make they make um, Undertaker and Big Show seem like the dead, <laughs> uh, the dangerous alliance. That's <laughs> oh no. So, yeah, that's something to look forward to. But if you want to catch up on any of our previous editions of Reliving the War, make sure you help to Grey Wolf ENT for all of the full three-year back catalogue of every pay-per-view. But uh, on behalf of Simon Tackler, I've been Nims Azor. Make sure you follow us on socials at Grey Wolf ENT on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we'll catch you next time for Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.